Cause I'm in the shit house Wish I played in a rock and roll band Somebody give me a dollar bill So I can pass out on the jukebox singing So what I was thinking, this being a music podcast yeah. What are your favorite songs or albums to listen to like when you're going through like troubled times for a pandemic <laughs> well not necessarily a pandemic but pandemic not playlist. necessarily a breakup either but just like when things are like not good i mean does it matter what well, i do have a couple what i call safe space songs that i have definitely frequented since fucking trump guy like it's like they're kind of my own little like audio padded room that i can just go into and not hurt myself for a little bit I certainly have songs that just make me happy no matter what the case. I don't think I've exercised. I don't think I've gone to them. I don't think I've felt that bad that I needed to like. One of them for sure is Sly and the Family Stone's Greatest Hits because every song is just like, you can be a star. You can make it if you try. Thank you for letting me be myself. (laughs) But every song, they're just like, it's fine. It's fine. Josh, one of them I know you like, Night Shift. I cannot, I cannot feel bad listening to that fucking song. That song is so fucking good, and it has one. It's a very special thing, and you don't see this too often. The second verse is better than the first verse because it comes in with that Jackie, and, oh, the, yeah. and it's like, oh, Jackie. Well, that's yeah. definitely debatable because uh, Marvin, Marvin, it's great. And, and speaking of Marvin, just phonetically, just phonetically, I, I, I like the Jack. It just sounds like. Jackie, it just—it sounds so authentically casual and cool. Speaking of Marvin, Marvin Barry, oh Marvin Barry, Barry. not Marvin Barry. <laughs> we should have, we should have a band called Marvin Barry. That would be fucking that sound you've been looking for. But no, <laughs> speaking of Marvin Gaye, I would say it, there's no better encapsulation of like American <laughs> carnage slash hope than Marvin Gaye. What's going on? Just in terms of a front to back, uh, a treatise, yeah. a treatise, uh, uh, or tre- is it treaties or treatise? Treaties, I think. Treaties on the state of American civilization. I think it, even though it's about, you know, a lot about people coming home from Vietnam, I think if you listen to it today, you know, in the Trump years, whether you like Trump or not, it's still divisive. You still don't feel good. And I, don't know. I, I feel don't like know. what's going on is still relevant. And I think if you listen to it, it makes you feel better because you're like, if somebody can come. You know, I, I, I like listening to like happy things. I like to listen to things that I'm like, oh, this is what this is what people can do during hard times, make you feel the same thing. I don't know, like that one. I also heard Ohio, yeah. of Buffalo Springfield. CSNY. That's CSNY. Okay, I, I will say 100%. that I can't swear to it. But I don't know if those songs make me. They make they don't make me necessarily feel good. It makes me feel good that but like there's a song by Van Morrison called it's a and it's a later one. It's called When Will I Ever, uh, When Will I Learn to Live in God? Those two oh. are my main. And there's a difference between songs that make you feel good and songs that remind you of what's going on right now. Yeah. You know? And one thing I, I thought think has been crazy is like when you do listen to Buffalo Springfield, for what it's worth, all he's singing about is going on right now. It's like nothing's really. I mean, things slowly change, but all those revolt songs of that time um, still are very relevant. And make perfect sense because. They're, they're yeah. more about just our condition, you know, than a time. I would say something more recent, a, an album that I I think came out before Trump got elected, but it's called, uh, it's a Jim James solo, Eternally Even. 
it reminded me of what's going on. I mean, it, there's a lot of uplifting songs, but also about like the state of the world and that 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 has a more positive vibe, I think, than Marvin Gaye's is more because it's i mean marvin gay is beautiful but it's definitely it's a critique kind of, it has this turmoil in and of itself like it's, yeah it's a critique it's on what's going on and being like I'm, I'm tired of this shit which again stan it's perfect for these times there's mahalia jackson uh move on up a little higher where you just feel like you're yeah. in oh, the yeah, best yeah. church ever oh yeah. and like so, church music so good. It, she feels like everyone's mom or everyone's grandmother and you just like okay with well, shit can't be too bad if mahalia jackson singing like yeah that's like, pretty good that song is pretty great. It's so unique. Oh, God, it's so good. There's one more song that I want to mention that always makes me happy. Like, it's my perfect Sunday drive song is that song we used to cover, Games People Play. Is that... Oh, 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 yeah. oh Soul Serenade is another one. Soul Serenade. I, I have many King Curtis records. Like, I, I love him. What was... It was that... It was kind of a hippie jam song, Soul Shine. <laughs> yes. Soul Shine. Brothers. That's Warren Haynes' song. Oh, my song. God. It's... Yeah, that, I mean, when I first realized that song in like high school, I was like, "Oh, this is it. This is it." <laughs> that, that song is like it's a it's a it's the songwriting equivalent of, of of a Miller High Life, which is a great thing. <laughs> which is like, great it, thing. it's only two dollars, but you're gonna love it. And on that note, you are listening to Pod Gave Rock and Roll to you, a podcast about intros to podcasts. I chose the Everly Brothers. When will I be loved? Which was also even an even bigger hit for Linda Ronstadt in the 70s. I chose this because no particular reason I heard it last week and I think I'd already always associated this song with Linda Ronstadt uh, because that's the version I think most people would say they've heard. It did reach number two on the charts, but the Everly Brothers also reached the top 10. Linda Ronstadt, when, when was that? Or 75. And it was 15 years after the Everly Brothers released it. Theirs in 1960. Phil Everly wrote it, which is one of the first songs, that one of their first hits that they wrote. That's impressive. I didn't think he would have written it. I looked it up and I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I think this was the second one after they wrote Kathy's Clown. This was, <laughs> they wrote that one? This was their second hit. It was like the same year they released it. They recorded this on their record label that they'd been on throughout the 50s, Cadence. Then they signed with Warner Brothers. They released Kathy's Clown on Warner Brothers. So this was actually before. But they, this is kind of when they started writing their hit songs. And kind of before, you know, they really kind of fell out of flavor pretty quickly after that. But they'd already sold so many records. I think what stood out to me about this song is just, usually, I'd never really associated with them with, say, like, Rockabilly. You know? Yeah. And this song is very Rockabilly. And, and then you throw their vocals on top of it. And it... It kind of combines a lot of things I love about music from the 50s, like there, where there's like, it sounds like there's so much echo and like reverb, but not whereas like in the last 20 years, people use echo and reverb to basically cover up for the fact they can't sing. It's just to to make it dreamy and and cool. And I don't know if that had to do with like the, the you know, blandness of the 50s, you know, the black and white kind of era of the 50s and just... Everybody just wanted to kind of be transported somewhere else when they listen to music, and that was like an outlet for that. I can't say this for sure, but one of the issues, one of the differences may be that back then, I believe reverb was just the whole recording was saturated. Yeah. Whereas now it'll be like the vocal itself will have it, mm-hmm. but it, it it lends itself so well. Um, David Byrne uh, did a TED talk about music and architecture, and they were saying how like. It makes sense that, like, on the plains of, like, Africa or something, folks would play drums because drums 
work really well outside. They carry across across large spaces. You can hear them using yeah. communicate. Whereas it makes sense that you would come up and develop this complex harmony stuff in these massive cathedrals in Europe because all those harmonies start blending and echoing and reverbing together. And that's yeah, yeah. kind of what they have that vibe on this stuff. And it's incredible. Going back on the reverb thing, like you just said, it, back then it was recording in like dome, like I, I think Decca studio in New York had, uh, it was located in a ballroom, the Pythian temple, which had just a giant barn like building that just mm. created echo. So basically uh. you're, you're just setting them up in the room and then you're getting that natural echo from the space. And that's, that's where Buddy Holly recorded. Mm -hmm. That's where Bill Haley and his comments recorded. It it makes it sound so old. And like I think that's what I always want to strive to do, even playing guitar. I just want that reverb. I don't want the you know, you can never find I've never found the perfect reverb. I love it, but there's never that wow, this sounds like AM radio or just like and I think part of this specifically is just their perfect harmonies that just like vibrate and resonate it's it's nuts the way their voices work together it's funny this conversation then makes it seem not so strange that i had a guitar amplifier in the bathtub last night <laughs> with the microphone in front of it and the, <laughs> trying the bathroom to find door that closed. sound trying to, yeah exactly it's looking for marvin barry but, but and he actually you did because all the uh with the with the shower door shut and just like put a mic in front of it and put a towel just in case somehow water it really does have a cool old school, just like, I like that stuff because here's how recording was back then. Back then, recording was like, wow, when you play, it sounds great. Let's put a mic out. Now it's like, make me sound yeah. great. <laughs> like, <laughs> fucking so fix true. it. Yeah, and just the, the, sat the saturation. Exactly. There was only so many people. Like, these guys were groomed by Chet Atkins. He he listened right. to him in Nashville, and there he was like, all right, these guys are going somewhere. Well, He's playing guitar on this yeah. track, and, mm -hmm. and, and that's what's yeah, and that's what's so so great about this song is you know what you're getting vocally from them already when you come into it, and you know you're probably getting some sweet lyrics, and then you get that opening guitar, bottom bottom bottom. It reminded me of the beginning, and I wondered when I listened to this if Bob Dylan took this beginning for Highway 61 revisited, like yeah, the song, bottom yeah. bottom. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. they kind of do that in this song. That's oh, a pretty yeah. generic uh, little run, though. You hear that in lots. But, but it, they almost have that little... Lots of blues song. Like the little... They do whatever have Whatever that. that is um, underneath there. Yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying. I'm sure... Um, it's a common... I'm sure there's a little bit in there, but yeah. I think yeah. I, I don't think anyone can can really take responsibility for that riff. But So I think that's... I think you're going to find that in lots. Sure, but if you listen to the beginning of both songs, it's very similar. Very, yeah, yeah, very yeah. similar. I hear what he. I hear what Josh is saying. This, this was after Kathy's Clown, and they were they were worried because Kathy's Clown was pop, and they were worried that this was taking them back into the country. You know, obviously not worried because they knew it was a great song, but it's like they were trying to move into a pop phase, and then. Well, yeah. Well, again, they were they were doing rockabilly in, in '60 when rockabilly had kind of hit its peak in '56, '57. So yeah, they were looking for a new sound. I mean, they definitely had the. Because all that most of the early hits, I mean, Dream and yeah, they're and pretty straight ahead. Wake up, little Susie are pretty, you know, rockabilly. I mean, they're they're with the Elvis early hits and Carl Perkins and all that stuff. Which and, and what, the difference between rockabilly is there's just a boogie baseline. Is that right? Anytime I think of rockabilly, I think of something that has a little more like very beginnings of uh, of a little more attitude, a little more punk ish. 
that's why I'm a little hesitant to say because you know Elvis had yeah. His, yeah. And generally, well, there's two, I, I, there's, di there's two different kinds of rockabilly. There's the rockabilly of the last 30 years, and then there's like how it started. You this is like maybe like Papa Billy. It's it's kind of got like where it's it's because it's a little, a little pretty sweet. Like it's not edgy. quite edgy enough. Yeah. But I think that that's the lyrics though. But I yeah. And the harmonies. Let's be and clear. I, it it is think, of that school for sure. But I don't know if I would call this. But I think back in the day they may have called them that. And then I'm saying it's that term is morphed into something else where it's like. The punkier bands we used to see in our youth, and but like to me, like you know, like somebody in somewhere might like be like, oh yeah, man, listen to the Eagles, Life in the Fast Lane, they're hard rock, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, I don't think the Eagles are exactly hard rock when you hear like so. For me, it's like I've never like heard anyone call the Eagles hard rock. <laughs> <I've> never <laughs> heard. But, but I'm saying if someone, about? no, I'm uh, saying like if if, if, if you looking at some like genre description of like of that one song. Mm -hmm. My point is. What ish? They're of the school. I don't know if I would really consider them rockabilly because most of the rockabilly dudes. Well, I don't. I don't like, know if we consider them rockabilly. I think if you. I think <laughs> if you talk about this song, the music underneath is very mm -hmm. rockabilly, Buddy sure. Holly-ish, sure. early. I mean, it's sure. in that vein. You know, maybe this stands out as as, as something popabilly, like you said, because of the lyric. <laughs> the lyrics are very pop, and oh my God, and just. Yes. So I sweet. mean, they're 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 perfectly sweet. Well, speaking of like sweet, it was according to Rolling Stone, Phil Everly wrote this in his car parked outside an AW root beer stand. It's so crazy that this song was written that way. Like, at a if fucking... that's not the 1950s for you, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what is. When I think of rockabilly, I really think of like your your Dwayne Eddy and your Gene Vincent, like oh. the hardcore, the, the hardcore, speaking like of, um, rockabilly yeah, dance. Dwayne Eddy, um, I did something I haven't done before, which is I looked at the songs around. When this when this was number eight or it, it got it got into the top ten in 1960, but I was just as an exercise looking at all listening to a couple of the other songs around them. One of them was Dwayne Eddy because they're young. Have you ever heard that? Uh -huh. It's an instrumental, but it was off his album A Million Dollars Worth of Dwayne. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. And, and the numbers like not a million dollars like. One he actually comma zero 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 comma zero 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 worth of twenty. <laughs> worth of now would be one m. That was of one of them. Only the lonely Roy Orbison was another one in the top sure. ten at that time. But listening to the song all week, it, it really is a perfect song. There's not a portion of this song I don't like or think fits perfectly within the song. I'm not saying it's it's the best song ever. I'm saying. It's a perfect. It's one of those songs you listen to, and I find no issues with it. Yeah, I had I didn't know it by name. I've obviously heard it before, but um, I wasn't super familiar with it. And then when I sat down and put it on this week, one of the great things about them is as soon as I put it on and they started singing, like just a calm warms over. Like it's just amazing. Going like, back to our songs for troubled times. <laughs> I mean, this, this can this can make you feel good, or it can make you feel sad if you listen to yeah, the lyrics. But you know? um, yeah, it's a beautiful song. It's just I. As soon as I put it on, you just start smiling when you hear it because you're like, because they're they're written so well, and then the way they perform them with those harmonies, you're just it blows you away. And the title and the tagline, "When will I be loved?" It's a question that everyone has asked themselves at some point in their life. I, I love the song, but at one point after listening a few times, I'm like, "Stop being a pussy, fucking! When will you be loved? When you fucking?" It's because well, he's just so like he's in that space where I was talking. He gets cheated and put down, and he's feeling blue. It's like, come on. Up from the A&W Rupert stand and go get... Go get some twang. 
oh, I've been cheated, I've been beaten, I've been knocked down, which everyone has felt. I, I have too. But it was just, it was one road I went down as far as thinking like, Jesus, dude, all right, enough. But that goes back to what I was saying earlier about the, you know, when you're going through hard times. Some people want to yeah, he's get digging, that self-pity yeah, and like dig yeah, into that hole for a little bit and really feel sorry for themselves. And that's okay, Neil. Yeah. I think maybe the difference is this song, he's not saying I've never been with anybody. I've never dated it. I've never, he's like, I just keep getting fucked over. Yeah. So it's not like he's sitting there. He just yeah. phrases it that way. Totally. But you you kind of make your own luck in in the world. Like you can you can definitely get screwed over over and again. Well, yes. <laughs> and that's what people tell themselves all the time as well. You know, after you no, like fall into this hole. Sometimes you just yeah, I've, been, I've I've felt like him many times. I don't know that this dude's been sitting around moping for months on end. It's like this could have just happened like pretty, it feels like pretty yeah. fresh. Like Yeah, these lyrics are definitely written. They, they sound like you just got fucked over yeah. and this is just comes out in like a flurry and yeah. then to that you move point, on. Maybe it's not the time to man up. Maybe you do need to keep digging a little deeper. <laughs> yeah, just uh, dig a little deeper and come up with something but, like this. Um, I'm, I'm still not sure he's feeling sorry for himself. I'm, I'm thinking, for me, it just feels more like when will I quit dating somebody who's just being dishonest and being a, just being an asshole really i don't think he's like because it's still like he's in the game it's just kind of like he just keeps <laughs> he's, 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 he's getting that bats he's well, getting that fats. He's, just, yeah, he's, he's making contact so, it's so just kind of like so this is a good point to transition to the linda ronstadt version because she takes it and kind of makes it almost a song of like female empowerment like the way she sings it and the way this her song is produced it's less of a lament or when am I going to get stop getting fucked yeah. over where she's she's well, almost like I don't fucking care. Yeah, real quick just speaking of that that one talk about sugar coating. It is sugar coated. Like it's just so sweet. That's a production I think, right? <laughs> right. For right. sure. Yeah, yeah. It's got a much happier vibe to it, but it's just so well, it, it's very 70s. It, it's got like the, the guitars sound like Steely Dan, whoever oh, does guitar on Steely Dan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, um, no, different. I don't think it so. It sounds just no. like that, though. No, because well, I, I, mean, I saw a couple different clips. It was always the same well, what, guy. Like, Waddy Wachell with the long the, yes, with, it's, it's with him. The glasses. Right, but he didn't. He wasn't in Steely Dan. No, he wasn't, but it sounds just well, like solo a solo from a Steely Dan song. And, yeah. and like just the, the the tone basically, well, and, and maybe that's just a '70s well, thing. No, that's a very common it's not '70s a tone. It's, a har- it's two guitars. It's harmonized. Okay, and so, that's why it sounds crazy. I love what they were going for with that. I love the execution, but after listening to it a few times, I'm like, all right. But I I must say I watched a live clip of them playing the harmonized guitar solo, and it was super impressive. The live version on Burt Sugarman's Midnight Special yeah. was so good. Did you watch that? No. Oh my god. Oh, well, I think that's kind of like this song kind of has that feeling of, all right, we're going to go into the studio, make us sound good. Now, clearly, she's an amazing singer and everybody in the band's great. But this feels, it's it's very much a studio creation, whereas the Everly Brothers feels like, they're again, they're just hanging out playing this and somebody comes up and puts mm-hmm. a mic. And of course, th- there was some arrangement, mm-hmm. but this song is definitely a studio creation. Put it like this. I feel like the Everly's is like early Elvis and then Ron Sat's like Vegas Elvis. <laughs> and it is yeah, kind of sure. similar time periods, but you're, there's the early kind of rockabilly moving into rock and roll of the of, of the Everly Brothers version, and then the like golden rock excess of the 70s, where where you're just kind of making it more flowery, and this is what rock and it's roll is more, become. right? 
the, the, the impressive thing about her song, and I, I mean, I don't know the history of female, you know, country or, or rock vocalists at that time, but it seems like this song is what every country pop vocalist in the late 80s and 90s yeah. sounded like. Winona, Shania Twain, it sounds, all of their songs yeah, kind of take so yeah, much root in like this sound. Yeah, it sounds like Taylor Swift too, you know what I mean? Yeah, so <laughs> it, it, that's impressive. Like, if she, they, she basically invented the sound yeah, that yeah, defined totally. country music, female pop country music for the next 30 years. The crossover thing too, the whole crossover. Like the yeah, pop country, yeah. like, mm-hmm. that kind of toe in the line between the two, absolutely. I mean, you know, she's one that just doesn't get She's not like you know talked about like Neil Young or someone like that. Maybe it was because she had more pop songs, but like. But I think she's a everyone, our parents, like it's it's almost like there was a cutoff where like I I, I wasn't aware of Linda Ronstadt till I got a little older. It's I don't know. It's, she's just kind of like you said, a little lost in the shuffle. I, and I don't know. We 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 talk about a lot like song versus performance, and for this song. It's such an impressive song because a you have the Everly Brothers which which hit the top ten in it and they're combining pop and rock and country and then you have her version in the seventies which reached number two and then it's a defining you know the next thirty years of country music but it's not really a country song I wouldn't say it is most country music you hear these days isn't really country music either so that would make True, sense but in the nineties it, it was in the nineties it was there's a like. yeah for sure so like I like I just said you guys have to watch the Burt Sugarman's. It's so good. It's such a good performance. She looks absolutely gorgeous. There's like mm. huge light bulbs behind her that just say Linda Ronstadt. They're like and crushing that guitar solo. Anytime you can watch a Sugarman performance, you oh should. My God, thank but you. the but but you said she gets lost in the shuffle. But again, you're no good. I don't know if this is like a southern thing, but I heard you're no good so much growing up when it's I was younger. Tune. That was her like and, that was her first hit off of this album. That but it's like also like. It's like your parents are drinking at night and fucking. Oh, yeah. It's not. It's not. It's very. It, it could feel very icky to have like, you know to like yeah. if you're ten. You're like, yeah. oh, I don't want to hear that. One so. thing I do love about her version is that the just the kicks on that. But um, but um, but Well, and and in the live versions, like they really dig into that. We talked about tainted love. A cover of a song that was not a hit we're talking about a song that was a hit twice so you know written outside of an a and w root beer shop and then probably made phil everly gobsmacks of money just oh just i mean it's a hell of a song when i was listening to this and then some other uh, everly brothers listened to like love hurts which is just ridiculous like i didn't know that they recorded yeah. they were it the first ones to record so that good. it's like inc- that blew me away i was i, I think i don't even love that years, years ago I used to think Graham Parsons was the first one to record it. I thought, but, so. I thought so too. But and I don't but, think they don't love yeah. Graham his. Parsons' version of this song, that home recording. Mm. So bad. I mean, it's great. I, I didn't listen but to it. But the harmonies, they're, they're, yeah. you can tell they're just sitting around drunk as shit, and they were not hitting the harmonies <laughs> at all. And if they go in and out, I mean, Graham is crushing it, but the rest of the guys are just just raining on his parade. <laughs> listening to this and listening to uh, Love Hurts and Kathleen's. This is where the Beatles came from. And and you know that, but then you listen to it and you really know it. You're like, holy shit. The difference is they were in England at, at the time and everything was changing. Fashion was staying, every society was changing. But man, look, these are like two little Beatles that just grew up in Texas and stayed in Texas. Yeah. Did you know that at some point the Beatles referred to themselves as the British Everly Brothers? Maybe. It, it, 
Apparently, they based the vocal arrangement of Please Please Me on Kathy's Clown. This kind of goes back to the rockabilly thing. They were all into Buddy Holly and the Everly Brothers. And I think over in England, they were called the the Ton-Up Boys, the British kids who liked rockabilly music from America. The the Ton-Up? I I thought it was like Teddy Boys. Rockabilly was Ton-Up. T-O-N-U-P. They rode British (laughs) motorcycles and would later be known as rockers. Uh, that's what that's what that's what Wikipedia says at least, <laughs> which is not surprising. You're, you're talking about the harmonies, obviously the Beatles. I'm well, trying. I was trying to think of other bands other than like the 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 groups of like R&B groups that do harmonies like that before. Well, I think the four 1960s. Yeah, well, it's I read somewhere it's based on a diatonic thirds, which makes perfect sense. They're just hitting the, the thirds. I think one the reason their harmonies are so amazing is because they were singing from when they were kids. You know what I mean? They just grew up just singing together, and they, they used to sing on the radio on their dad's radio show as little Donnie and baby boy Phil. <laughs> Donnie and baby boy Phil. I could see that because you're they, they grew up in Kentucky and you're like the Appalachian music had it was all about harmonizing. It was all about like uh, I can't think of the name of it, but there's certain factions of old time music or Apple of uh, hill hillbilly music or whatever they called it back then, where there's 40 people in a church and they're all harmonizing just acapella. So like you oh, you were just shape, in like rain and stuff. Well, here's yes, the thing the too. Shape. There's the thing about sibling harmonies. Like them and the Lubin brothers, and there's a thing that happens with siblings that I don't think, like even scientifically, they've broken it down where it's just a a, a resonance and a blending yeah, that, that you just sense. can't get, and it does make that sense because you are of the same. But what these guys did for Simon and Garfunkel, you know, I mean, the yeah. people these oh, people yeah. are influenced is ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Like a lot of Kinks stuff sound like this song. Sure. Uh, but I don't know if that's what the Everly's or more the the like Chet Atkins kind of rockabilly music underneath it. I think the Everly Brothers really affected all. I think all harmony singing, like Mick and Keith, John, like whoever. I think. Yeah. I think well, that's all what I'm saying. Dudes, Who else can you think of other than R&B groups before 1960 that were doing this like no, no, no much one. intense harmony? I'm sure there no. were people singing backup I, on the, Buddy Holly and like. Yeah, the backup folks. I can't think of any. But no, it it is magic. Oh well, the they're, Lubin they're brothers. Harmonies. The Lubin brothers. The Lubin, I'm not talking. I'm not thinking country like straight country. But though, no, or, I mean, or, still no one even touches their harmonies really. I mean, the Lubin brothers touch them. Yeah, they, the Lubin, you don't know them much. The Lubin brothers. <laughs> what? I mean, the Lubin brothers well, you, hold their own. Yes. <laughs> okay. Fine. The Lubin brothers would have influenced them. Like the, I, I guarantee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's real, like from the like four. But they're real. the ones with the harmonies that's like have most. Oh, yeah. Yes, culture. in terms of like the the history of like they were the ones who got, they're like Elvis with rock and roll or whatever, bringing it into the mainstream. They were the. I wonder if the guys in Linda Ronsat's band were sitting around stoned and they're like, Everly Brothers, great harmonies. Should we do a guitar solo harmony? <laughs> guitar harmony? You know I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they did. I mean, I was wondering why they chose to do harmonized guitar solo. Well, it is very complex, kind of showing yeah. off. What's the session I mean? guys? There's just session guys who can fucking rip and go in there and just like, you know, knock a couple out of the park. It's saying that as we kind of balance the the different vibes of each song, like what we'll go with both of them. We've never done this before, but what setting do you want to hear this song? The the the, the Ron Stat one and the Everly Brothers. The Everly Brothers, I definitely like. I want to hear just that like some little dive. And you know, fuck it, maybe that maybe the Ron Stat one too. That's often your answer. 
Right, just at a bar. At a dive where bar. Do, where do you want to do it at a dive bar? <laughs> but yeah, because it's but it's that this this is jukebox music, especially the uh, yeah yeah the uh, I don't want to hear it too early in the night though. I want to hear it like after midnight. I want to hear it after midnight where I'm like in a pretty good mood and I and I can I can just stop for a minute and just really and tell everybody to shut up at the table. Yeah, exactly. Everybody <laughs> shut up. But. Who puts this on at a jukebox at a bar? Like, I mean, I guess you could. You'd I mean, have if to you're be in a Shay Shay, mood. it would not be at a place that like yeah, Shay J. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, like, yeah, bar like. Or we're talking about a, a dive bar. We're not talking about freaking the Blue Palms where they're gonna be playing hipster records. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I think you can, um, you can play this shit about anywhere. I mean, I, really, I think it's so good. Like, I think no one's gonna be like, yeah. oh, the fucking Emily Brothers, I hate this shit. And I think the Ronset version, not that you can or I want to hear it here, but when I hear it, I like you said before, it's just so sweet. Like I think of like the eighties, like a barbecue. Like my parents fucking sitting around getting drunk listening to Linda Linda Ronson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Ron Sat version I don't want to hear with my parents. Yeah. Like if I'm if I'm drinking during the day with my parents at this point. Yeah. Yeah, there's the chicken on the grill. Version. Someone's brushing it with barbecue sauce. You're like, I don't want to you're like, I don't want to hear it too late. Yeah. There's <laughs> like, daylight hours only. Like, don't, play this don't feed it after midnight. And she turns it into this is finger snapping music. Yeah. Oh my god. The other thing I learned about this song is it, it reminded me of again, it kind of proving your point from earlier with the Highway 61. The intro sounds also very similar to Johnny Cash's version of Atop the Weeping Willow. Big River. Yeah, big river. Yeah. Exactly. It's just a very common bluesy yeah. phrase. Well, I, I, I almost feel like it's a it was a rockabilly thing and not a blues thing, right? I don't know. You're yeah, splitting yeah. hairs. <laughs> I don't no, know. I, you're, you're right. You know, it's like it's a flour tortilla or a fucking corn tortilla. It's it's funny, like, is blues the first person who's who played the pentatonic scale with attitude? Like, because it, it almost, in a way, yeah. it breaks down like that. Yeah, but it's not, it, to me, it's just like a language. It's something that evolved. Like, totally. no one, no but you one... know what I'm saying by that, because it is also based on the pentatonic scale and having a lot of just attitude. Maybe. Maybe. Well, well, well. Like, first, actually, it actually came out of gospel. It came out of the spiritual songs, and the spirituals and all the work tunes. Mm-hmm. Right. So, like, I don't know. I just, I just thought that was an interesting way to think about it. Just like, because it is that scale with attitude. Oh, it definitely is. I mean, I, I, I guess we've all, all, all talked about this, but did you have a favorite part of the song? Just when, as soon as the voices come in. I mean, with like most Everly songs. I mean, I can't. <laughs> I can't pinpoint one point I do love more than the other. I do really enjoy the well, whoever's singing, like just the guitar, the way it goes from doing that heavy riff to the like real high, like it just that drops out and does like this really nice rhythm during the uh, kind of the verse, I guess you say. Yeah, I'm there with you. It's like on a as an old school where um, Will Ferrell's like. It's just so good when it hits your lips. It's, yeah, yeah, just, yeah. It's, this is just when it hits your ears, man. It's just so good. It's like, <laughs> it's just so good. It's like, that's so, yeah, when those harmonies kick in, you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm into this. I'm familiar with the Everly Brothers, and I, I love a lot of their songs. I listened to a bunch of them today and just couldn't believe how many that I, 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 I mm-hmm. knew and loved. The music of this one stood out to me more than, than the vocals on the other ones. I, I, I think the, the vocals obviously are, are perfect and amazing, but... I, I enjoyed the music because there is a little of that rockabilly attitude. The you know, bass like, line's really cool. Yeah, kind of walks around. So, so I, I think it's it's like more like Dream and and even Kathy's Clown. It's just there's more of an attitude there, and I, I like that. And again, that goes to your like, fuck, when am I gonna stop getting fucked over? And I think the music really contributes to that. So I, I would say that's probably my favorite part of the song. I'm gonna assume that we don't have a least favorite 
I, I couldn't. There's nothing I don't like about. No, so. I mean it's it's pretty straight ahead. There's not a whole lot of. You know, I mean, okay, if I want to find something to fucking bitch about, which I don't mind doing, it, it, it's pretty paint by numbers. As good as it is, the thing that makes it interesting is how good of a song it is, but it's very much of a certain genre. It's very much like he really aren't breaking any new ground here, but it's yeah. just really damn good. It's a wonderful melody, so sad lyrics. I mean, just it's it's a it's it's I don't think anything is like genius level, but everything is just almost there. And, you know? and, and they leave it open to interpretation, and some people interpreted it well, Linda Ronstadt, depending, you know, mm-hmm. and, and then others, John Denver, did not interpret it that well. Eh, I didn't mind John Denver's I, version. I didn't like a lot of the other covers of this. Man yeah. for Man's cover I didn't like, John Denver's cover I didn't like. The well, I didn't like it. I'm not going to listen to it again, but what, when <laughs> I put it on, I was like, yeah, good for you, John. You're sounding <laughs> all right. Well, it was a weird to hear John Denver because it sounded Which, like this was like early John Denver. Where yeah, he, and it's he's weird like, to hear him harmonizing with himself. Like, <laughs> oh, I did not like it at all. Did, did you listen to any covers, Johnny? I did not. These kind of songs are tough to cover because it's like Linda Ronstadt, I think, did a great job. I mean, it's definitely the 80s has turned up to 11 in there, which is a bit much. Beyond that, it's kind of like Goodfellas. Or, it's like, you're going to fight Jimmy Conway? It's like, you're going to cover the Every Brothers? Like, why would you? Why, like, why? Like, just, just let it be. You know, like, I don't think, <laughs> well, I don't think you need to mess with this song. Yeah, and I think we, we kind of already touched on the influences, and, like, they were yeah. definitely influenced by the Leuven brothers, and... Yeah, they and influenced everyone. Everyone the after them. Stones to Paul Simon. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean... There's not I, one musician, probably, that doesn't love the Everly brothers. I would make a case that they are the most influential and least recognized if you it had a ratio of attention or credit and and influence yeah I might, they no might be the most underappreciated in terms of the when you're talking music no one ever like right that's not your go-to or like right. kind of thing to bring up but when you put them on you're like oh yeah right. Son of a bitch, they're good and, and what's so funny is yeah and relatable to this podcast i piggybacking on that I played, when I managed that hotel in Santa Monica, I played, Ray Stevens' daughter used to stay there, and she wanted to have a little concert before the Grammys one time, and she was always in town for the Grammys, and Susie is her name, and she was like, hey, do you want, I know you're a musician, you want to play some songs? I'm like, sure. So there were probably like 10 people there, and I played the intro and outro music for this podcast, Shithouse, <laughs> while I was there, and then this old older man uh, later asked me, he was like, hey, where's the bathroom? And this hotel, which is on the corner of 3rd and Washington in Santa Monica, it it was a strange, you had to go down some steps and like take a couple turns to get to the bathroom. It was like, oh, I'll help you, I'll help you down there. And we were on the way down and he was like, oh, you know, I, I really like that song Shithouse. He's like, I, um, it's a really good song and it's just, just got everything that a song needs. And But, you know, if you're trying to sell it, you should probably change the name to Dog House or Poor House or something like that. You know, it's kind of off the top of his head. I'm like, all right, thanks, old man. Uh, here's the here's the men's room. And then the, ne- <laughs> the thanks, next asshole. day, yeah. Well, I mean, I was thinking that. I, I didn't say that. I'm, I was very close. I'm just <laughs> get to the good part. So the next day, I get an email from from Susie, and she's like, "Hey, thanks for playing." Phil Everly was there. He said he really liked your song, and I'm like, "Oh my goodness, that was that old man, Miss <laughs> Phil right. Everly." Yeah, because yeah. he said when we were walking, he's like, "You know, you should listen to me. I know something about this." And I'm like, "Yeah, you've sold millions of records." <laughs> which, which, by the way, it's such an amazing story. And this week, I was doing research 
and when I was doing it, I, that that's, you obviously told me that story before. It dawned on me. I was like, oh, yeah. And then I texted Josh. I was like, did you just want to do this Everly song so you could talk about how Phil said you wrote a good song? Which I don't have any problem with that. That's that fine. That's a dope I'm fine story. That's a great story. I'm fine and, with that. You know, just us talking about how, uh, how influential they are. That's really cool. And now we're going to play the song. Cha-cha-cha. your week next week oh, it what is. are we what are we going to it's hard to pick man i want to pick like five songs at once i am going to go with um a long december by the counting crows Ooh. oh wow okay <laughs> uh, this this is our first foray into the 90s on this on this I podcast gotta, so. i gotta i gotta keep you guys guessing you know, know. It's either, it's either that or a guar song i figure we go with. all right can't wait <laughs> 